Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. A very special welcome to you if you're visiting us this morning. It's great to have you guys with us. Uh, We're starting off a new series, as Tanya said, uh, looking at the kingdom of God, which is one of the key vineyard distinctives, I suppose. Um, So we're going to unpack over the next six weeks what we mean by the kingdom of God and the story of the kingdom from the meta-narrative or the big story of Scripture from Old Testament through to New Testament, looking at Jesus. Uh, And if you have walked in the Christian life for any kind of significant period of time, you'll come to the realisation that much of Christianity is really about living in the tension between two truthful realities. So often we see that it's not actually a clear cut either or, or a 60-40 or a 20-80, but it's rather a both and. So stuff like the both and of free will and the sovereignty of God and how those two are held together. Um, Christ as fully human and yet Christ as fully divine, those two tensions held together. The Godhead as three persons and yet one God. Um, Even personal salvation as worked out through community. Um, Lots of both and in Christianity. And the vineyard has always been a movement that positions itself in, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, but what we call the radical middle. So this phrase is initially coined um, to describe how we sit well between Pentecostalism on one hand, which is pursuit of the things of the spirit, and evangelicalism or orthodoxy on the other hand, and marrying those two and sitting right in the middle of that. But it's become also a phrase, a radical middle, for the way that the vineyard tries to sit in the tension of lots of these both ends that we see throughout biblical doctrine. Um, so charismatic evangelical, as I mentioned, having mercy and working for justice, proclamation of the gospel alongside demonstration of the gospel. I've actually got some slides this morning. <laughs> Rich Nathan, he's a... Uh, a pastor, um, he planted Vineyard Columbus in Ohio. Uh, he wrote a book called Both And about sitting in this tension. He writes this, Both And does not involve advocating for the mean between two extremes or finding an average. Rather, it requires holding to both extremes at once and realizing the power that exists in this tension. The power that exists in this tension. And that fundamental tension in the vineyard and now um, spreading throughout evangelical Christianity is finding ourselves in the tension of the kingdom of God. On the one hand, the kingdom is here in the now, available, present to us. And at the same time, it's the not yet. It's the coming kingdom, the fullness that's coming when Christ returns. So we're kicking off this new series, looking at the story of the kingdom, looking at the theology of kingdom throughout the meta-narrative of scripture. And I've just um, titled this first week, Discovering the Kingdom. So a little bit of background for you. Um, if you just let me nerd out on you for a little while. Uh, the, since kind of World War II, biblical um, evangelicalism or the pursuit of biblical scholarship um, has started to see a bit of a shift. And it's partly due to some prominent theologians like um, a guy called George Ladd, who was at Fuller Seminary, um, all the way through to now kind of N.T. Wright, who's probably the leading New Testament scholar of the day. Um, but taking a kind of a deep dive into the historical context of Jesus as a Jew living in Israel-Palestine at the time of Second Temple Judaism. 
And so alongside this, we've seen a bit of a shift happen where um, looking at biblical doctrine has shifted away from systematic theology, which is what are our top 10 doctrines and how do we sit within that, towards narrative theology. What is the big message of the Bible? What's the big story that we're stepping into as followers of Jesus? And that big story that we're stepping into is the story of the kingdom. Uh, John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, uh, the Vineyard kind of came out of this shift in theology at the time of the 80s and 90s. And um, John Wimber and the Vineyard started applying this kingdom theology. Um, They noticed that Jesus both proclaimed the kingdom on one hand and demonstrated the kingdom on the other hand, primarily through healing and deliverance. And so he taught his disciples to do the same. And so the vineyard then started, what would happen if we started to try and do that? Equip the saints to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom. And the wide-reaching effects of that movement through the 80s and 90s and even in today is probably a lot wider than we realize across the evangelical church. Um, So the next six weeks, we're going to unpack some of what this means as kingdom theology. Because when you capture this concept it actually has a dramatic paradigm shift for how you approach following Jesus. John Wimber famously wrote, when you get the kingdom, you realize that every book has to be rewritten. Now that's hyperbole or exaggeration, but he's basically saying that when you understand that the kingdom of God is the key message of Jesus and the key message of the Bible, there's a paradigm shift that happens in your following God and how you walk it out. Um, It was Jesus' key hermeneutic. That's a, a word for... That's a theological word for his interpretation or his lens, the way that he is reading Old Testament scripture. It was his key hermeneutic. And so therefore, starting at Jesus and extrapolating from that point, if we apply Jesus' hermeneutic to our lives, his lens, his goggles that he's looking through, we realize that the kingdom of God should be central to who we are as followers of Jesus. So what do we actually mean by the kingdom of God? Well, um, just let me nerd out for you a little bit longer. Um, The kingdom of God, it's one of those words that we use in Christian lingo a lot um, without much explanation often. And so it kind of is a bit of a foggy, what do we talk about when we talk about the kingdom of God? Well, I want to take a moment to unpack a little bit of the science or the theology behind that, if you like. Um, So the kingdom of God, the... uh, the word in, in Matthew's gospel, if you're in Matthew's gospel, is kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, the Greek word is basilia, and it means the dynamic rule and reign of God. So it's not a physical place like an earthly kingdom or lines on a map, but it's everything that is under Christ's rule, his dynamic, active rule and reign. So when we're talking about the kingdom, we're actually referring to the present activity of God in his sovereignty, bringing everything under his rule and reign, under his domain. In casual terms, it's when God is Godding, if you like. Um, So we're not referring to a physical kingdom. We're referring to the dynamic, the active rule and reign of Jesus. And it's one of Jesus' key topics that he taught on. If you look through most of his parables, they were painting a picture of the kingdom of God, what the kingdom was like and what it meant to pursue him and pursue God in the midst of that. Uh, So a couple of scriptures here for you. Uh, This is from Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. 
If you look throughout the gospel, we've seen Matthew, Matthew 6, Jesus tells his disciples explicitly to seek first his kingdom. He then went on to teach his disciples to pray your kingdom come, so God's kingdom come. Um, in Mark, when Jesus, the way that Mark introduces Jesus' ministry in Mark 1.15, he announces the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So there's a link between the gospel and the kingdom of God here. Um, Jesus himself was the long-awaited Messiah. So he inaugurated, he brought in, he started to usher in this rule and reign of God. Uh, when he himself was talking about his mission, this is Luke 4, he said he must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke then summarizes Jesus' ministry as proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. That's Luke 8. And then later on in Luke 17, Jesus even points to himself when he's talking to the Pharisees and he says, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, i.e. I am inaugurating the kingdom of God. I'm ushering it in. And I could give you text after text after text, but I'd run out of time. So Jesus was all about the kingdom. And that means that his miracles were demonstrations of the kingdom. Uh, Jesus coming to earth, if you like, was a bit like um, a secret rescue mission dropped in behind enemy lines. And he was dropped in behind enemy lines to start to usher in the dynamic rule and reign of God in people's lives, usher in the kingdom. So everywhere Jesus went, when we read the Gospels, we notice that something started to shift. Often it was in the term, in um, the form of healing or deliverance. If you look at the funerals that were happening at the day, no funeral was safe when Jesus was around. Stuff was shifting, that his dynamic rule and reign was being ushered in through his ministry. So everything Jesus did were works of the kingdom, demonstrating that he was bringing God's reign. So the miracles then weren't just miracles. We go, wow, that was cool what Jesus did. They're actually literal examples of the kingdom of God breaking into someone's present scenario. So in Jesus' rescue mission, even death itself was beaten, brought under the dynamic rule and reign of God. Paul, when he's writing in Colossians 2, he says, this is summing up Jesus' ministry, as disarming the rulers... So thinking about Jesus being king. So he says, He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, as kingdom language, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. So King Jesus flipped the whole dynamic on its head. What was supposed to be a public humiliation dying on a cross became a gateway for what we can call the upside down kingdom of love, grace, peace to break into our present scenario. So when you think about it, it would make sense to sell everything you have to capture that pearl of great price. That even death itself has been beaten. When you found, if you like, the secret source, the thing you've been searching your whole life for, the good news that Jesus is bringing everything under his rule and reign, even death itself cannot stand against his grace, you'd happily sell everything you have for the kingdom. And I think as kingdom people, we need to recapture the desperation of that truth in our lives. But when I read the Gospels, what I love about the, the story of the kingdom is it's not just Jesus who demonstrates this. He actually talks to his disciples a lot about it, trains them and equips them to go and continue ushering in the kingdom of God when he leaves. 
So we see that in Luke 9, sending out the 12. We see it in Luke 10, he sends out the 72 to do the works of the kingdom. But we mostly see it through Acts. So Jesus has ascended, and now it's the church's role to continue his mission here on earth. And the very last sentence of Acts, which is Luke wrote Acts, but his final remark, if you like, his summary statement of, of the whole book of Acts, he's talking about Paul. And he writes, he, which is Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So the whole emphasis of Acts is the church continuing the mission of bringing the kingdom. That's the story of Acts in a nutshell. And as his church, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be people that usher in the kingdom of God. Jesus is still using his church to bring his rule and his reign. I remember a few years ago, I was at a youth event. You might have actually been there, Sam. But uh, we trained a bunch of young people, teenagers, how to pray for healing and see the kingdom come through healing. And that evening, we kind of let them loose into the congregation and said, is anyone sick that would like some healing? Um, These teenagers are going to pray for you. And it's the first time many of these kids have done it. And seeing their faces light up coming back with the stories of, oh my gosh, did you just see what happened? Um, This one group of young lads ran up to me, their faces were beaming and uh, there'd been a, a word of knowledge, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but kind of an idea of what the Lord might be doing in that moment. There'd been a word of knowledge that someone there had, I think it was an MCL or an ACL injury or something like that. And um, these kids went and laid their hands on it and they came back and they said, I actually felt the knee shifting under my hand as I was praying for healing. That's the dynamic rule and reign of God, bringing the world to rights in that moment for that person. That is the kingdom, God demonstrating that he rules. And that's the thing, when you learn to minister in power, we talk a lot about being naturally supernatural here. When you you learn to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit to see his dynamic rule and reign come, his kingdom, it's testament that he's actively restoring everything to himself. When we see power demonstrated in a room, it's not because God is trying to prove that he's powerful. It's that God is saying, my son justly rules over all things. And that's why we need to be, as Finian people, be about the kingdom. We need to learn to be naturally supernatural and to minister and partner with the Holy Spirit in ushering in the kingdom of God. And I think as a, as a baby church, as we start to lean into this more, we're going to start to see more of that happen. We're going to start to see God's dynamic rule and reign breaking into our present context. But if we're honest, sometimes it seems you could be warranted um, for debating that. Or perhaps disputing the availability of the kingdom. Does Jesus really reign? Because often we long to see more of God's kingdom and we just don't see it. You know, we pray for a friend with cancer and this side of heaven, they don't get healed. Um, We pray for a change in a relationship or for a shift in mental illness and it just seems to get worse. And we can be left thinking, well, God, where is your dynamic rule and reign? And it seems in that moment that it's not available and it's disappointing to us. And I think it's even more disappointing when you're going after this stuff and you've seen stuff happen, like knees get healed, and then you pray for something else and it doesn't seem to shift in that moment. And I just want to say as a, as a pastor and as a person who's been trying to walk this out in my life for a number of years, it's really okay to feel disappointed in those moments. Sorry. Wow, that was unexpected. It's okay to feel those frustrations when you don't see the kingdom break in. And it's normal and it's healthy to feel that because the Bible is full of prayers of frustration and pain. 
And that is the tension, I guess, of being kingdom people, of living in the now and the not yet. Jesus has ushered in his kingdom. It's available to us, but it's not yet here in its fullness. We don't always see all that we want to see or expect to see. Um, if you're reading the book of Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 2. Now, he's talking about the Father. Now, the Father is putting everything in subjection to him, that is Jesus. He left nothing outside of his control. But at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And I'll pack the, unpack this idea again in a few weeks' time. We'll look at the tenses of the kingdom that Jesus talks about. Um, but the writer to the Hebrews is really saying that to live biblical Christianity, we're living between two states. Jesus reigns and we see the kingdom break in. And at the same time, not yet everything is in subjection to him. And it, you just look at the world this week and that's testament of that. As N.T. Wright talks about, we don't yet see that God has put the world to rights in its fullness. Uh, one way of thinking about this concept, uh, if you know history at all, is uh, uh, during World War II, um, it was called D-Day, but the Allied forces led by America entered the war at D-Day. And at that point, there was a dramatic shift in the history of the war. Germany effectively knew at that point that they were beaten. But there was still a lot of fighting, a lot of battles and a lot of loss that had to happen before we saw the Allied forces triumph over that. Um, if you're a football fan, uh, a more light-hearted example would be a couple of years ago, Liverpool won the league, the Premier League, so emphatically that about three quarters through the season, they couldn't be caught. They were so dominant. And yet they weren't crowned champions until the end of the season. They still had a bunch of games they had to play, a bunch of injuries that could have happened and a bunch of losses that they incurred before the end of the season. Um, and that's kind of where we currently sit. We sit in this now and not yet. We've won the war, or if you like, we've won the league. Jesus reigns, but there's still a whole lot of fighting that we need to do to usher in his kingdom, his rule and reign. We don't always experience it. Um, Paul talks about this tension in Romans 8 when he's, he's talking about creation is groaning, waiting for the return of Christ. He says, and it's not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly, as we wait eagerly. So we have the first fruits, we have the deposit, we see it sometimes, but we don't yet have the whole package. And it is, it's frustrating and can be hard to live in that space, but we have to sit in that tension. Um, a lot of churches and a lot of follow, followers of Jesus try and handle this tension in a couple of ways. Some churches lean really heavily into the kingdom now, like the kingdom is here, it's available, um, and ignoring the not yet. And unfortunately, that leads to some teaching like, you know, as sons and daughters of the king, we can never experience hardship or suffering or pain. And if we do, we just come against it with faith and faith will triumph over the, the pain. Um, but unfortunately, that's just a misunderstanding of the role of faith in the New Testament. You know, faith is not like a currency that you put in God's big vending machine and out pops a miracle Mars bar. That's, that's not how faith works. Um, that's simply not the teaching of the New Testament. And when we approach the kingdom of God with that kind of thought, um, people get damaged with that teaching. Because they experience the not yet of the kingdom and it doesn't align with their beliefs. But equally harmful is if you go the other way and you slingshot to the not yet and we then just carry along with our little lives never expecting to see the dynamic rule and reign of Jesus break in. 
never expecting to taste, as Paul says, the first fruits, never experiencing or demonstrating or proclaiming the kingdom of God. And to do that is also to live a sub-biblical life. So to live biblical lives, we need to live in this tension of the now and the not yet. And as far as I can see, as a follower of Jesus, that's really the only practical way of navigating these truths, leaning as far as we can into partnering with the Holy Spirit in ushering in and bringing the kingdom of God, but equally relaxing and trusting in his sovereignty when we don't see it, trusting his timing and his knowledge that there will be a day when every knee will bow. There'll be no pain or suffering or tears. But today is unfortunately not that day unless Christ returns. Um, But there will be a time when we do live in the fullness of the kingdom and we can rest in God's sovereignty of that. So how do we walk that path? Um, I don't speak too long, so I just want to finish with a, a couple of thoughts and then we'll do some ministry. But living in the radical middle, living in that tension of the both end, as far as I can see, is really the only practical way to pursue the kingdom as a follower of Jesus. Um, And when we do that, we realize that the kingdom is more about obedience and faithfulness, first and foremost, and leaving outcomes with God. So we live in a society at the moment that's so hyper-focused on results. If you were in any business, it's like, you did that, but what was the outcome? But the kingdom should be hyper-focused on obedience and faithfulness and leaving the outcomes to God. Jesus taught that the way of the kingdom is the narrow road of obedience. If you look at Matthew 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. So he's emphasizing obedience as being key for the kingdom. And then Paul writes about it when he's talking about Jesus in Philippians 2. He says, This is Jesus. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As I mentioned before, the kingdom of God has been referred to as an upside down kingdom. So it's a kingdom that flipped the expectations of the day. And it still flips those expectations today. Um, It's a kingdom that defines success as obedience and faithfulness, often actually hidden in obscurity. Um, rather than you know, showy razzmatazz and influence and a number of Instagram followers that you might have. Um, if you think about Jesus' birth, <laughs> the king coming to earth, he was in the armpit of Palestine in a feeding trough. And if you think about his death, he died on a cross suffering a very painful death that was reserved for the worst of criminals in, in his day. And he didn't get a big fanfare and a big royal burial. He was put in a tomb and forgotten about until three days later when he wasn't there anymore. Um, Dallas Willard, he's a a professor, or he was, he's dead now, he's a professor of philosophy in Southern California. um, And he's written a lot about uh, discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus. We've talked about um, him in the past, what it looks like to be obedient and to, to walk out your relationship with God as apprenticeship to him. But he writes that obedience is the only sound objective of a Christian. Obedience is the only sound objective of a Christian. It's a big call. But when you see this, you realize that in obedience, we live in a freedom where we can press in. We partner with Jesus in, as he says in John 5, trying to do what we see the Father doing, ushering in his kingdom, and we leave the outcomes with God. We need to start to celebrate the obedience rather than the outcome. 
And it means that we can go for it. We can pray for a friend who has cancer in full hope and expectation that we might see the kingdom break in. And we pray our best prayer and we pray it again and again if we have to, but we can rest in the sovereignty of God, that we leave the outcomes with him. We celebrate the obedience. It means that we can spell faith R-I-S-K, which is another vineyard saying, spell faith risk, and step into what you sense God might be inviting you to step into. And you celebrate the obedience of the risk-taking rather than what the outcome necessarily was. It's more about obedience than his influence. And it means that we can healthily then wrestle with the pain when we don't see the kingdom break in in the way that we hope. We can cry out to God. We can healthily acknowledge the not yet, the pain in that space, not yet of the kingdom. And it not be a crisis of faith. It's just a reality of living as kingdom people. It's, it's an acknowledgement that in this side of heaven, we don't necessarily see everything in subjection to him. But in that space, we don't grieve, as Paul says, as one without hope. Because we know that there is a day coming when Christ will return and we will see every knee bow and no more pain and no more suffering. And as N.T. Wright says, we will see the world put to rights. So I guess to finish this morning, I just want to ask, maybe as a reflection and then we'll pray. But where is God asking you to lean into obedience in your life in the moment and faithfulness? And it might even be investing in obscurity. Where is he asking you to metaphorically, or perhaps not, metaphorically sell all you have for the Pearl of Great Price, for this message, proclamation, and demonstration of the kingdom, for the treasure in the field. Where is God asking you to be obedient? So I'll leave that with you to ponder later on. Um, But what I want to do now is every week we create space for the Holy Spirit to come and minister. And we've talked about his power being available And so we want to create space for us to experience the demonstration of the kingdom. His power is available to us. You've been listening to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delhart.